Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. Deacon's getting pretty good at chanting, isn't he? That's pretty good, huh? It's pretty good. So one of the things that I wish that I had kept track of all these years, uh, all these years, these seven years of priesthood, one of the things I wish I had kept track of is all of the baptisms that I've done. It's a thing that I know a number of guys, a number of priest friends of mine that they've, you know, in the inside front cover of their ritual book, uh, their baptismal ritual book, they, they'll write the name and the date of uh, each baptism. They got them numbered. And it's fun to see some of these ritual books of some of these older guys that are just filled filled with names, filled with dates. Uh, I wish I had done that. I really do. It was one of those things that I think I thought about it a year or two into priesthood. I was like, dang it. <laughs> like, that would have been cool. I mean, I, I, I would think probably at this point, I'm some, somewhere in the 200 region. That's my very ballparky guess. I, I've done a lot of baptisms here. Um, I think I'm way behind you. You have to be like 600, 700. Who here... Raise your hand if you or your child or someone here has been baptized by Deacon Rich. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. How about Father Joe? I see like one hand. Two hands? This doesn't make sense. Have you all been baptized? Uh, we, I'm a little concerned. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm in like the 200-ish region. I did, I've done a lot of baptisms here. I did a lot of baptisms at my first assignment in Cleveland Heights and some back in my home parish and other parishes in the diocese and other parishes around the diocese and other dioceses. It feels like a lot. It feels like a lot of baptisms. But then again, I, I was thinking about this. According to church records, it is believed throughout his lifetime, St. Francis Xavier baptized, ready for this, more than 700,000 souls. 700,000. So much so, they say that his, he was doing baptisms so often throughout so many days that his arm was like so fatigued that he couldn't even lift it by the end of the day. Like I've never gotten to that point, right? Um, if you want to see his arm, which is what we do when you're Catholic, you can go to Rome, you can go to the Church of the Jesu in Rome, and then a glass reliquary above the altar is the arm of St. Francis Xavier. His body... Not attached to the arm. It's somewhere else. But his arm, it's right there in Rome. It's pretty cool. Pretty darn amazing. There's a moment, there's a moment at the beginning of the baptismal rite that often goes kind of sort of subtly unnoticed. There's a lot that happens in baptisms, right? I think most often mom is usually thinking about, is the baby fussy? Is the baby hungry? Is the baby about to have a blowout in this family heirloom of a baptismal gown? I hope to God not, you know. But there's a moment that happens right at the beginning where the priest or deacon says to the little one, I sign you with the sign of the cross of Christ our Savior. And I invite your parents and your godparents to do the same, right? So then the priest, the deacon, baby's forehead, sign of the cross on the forehead, mom, dad do the same, parents, godparents do the same. And then the rite just continues from there, and you go into the reading and all so on and so forth. But I've often... I've not done this, but I've often wanted to pause, like right there, to stop and say, folks, we need to stop for a second and realize, like, do we realize what we just did? Do you realize what just happened? Do you realize what the cross is? 
Like, do you know what you're asking Christ and his church to do for your baby? Do you know what you're asking? Do you know what you, like, do you realize what you're signing him or her up for? Like, right now, do you realize what you're doing? Like, from the first moment of your life, my life as a Christian, most of us as infants, it was marked with the sign of the cross, which 2,000 years now on of Christian theologizing and reflection and tradition, like, the cross has been drained of its horror and its shock. It's a tattoo, it's jewelry, it's a symbol, it's anything but the terrifying image that it used to be. But for those first Christians, for the first several centuries of the church's life post the resurrection, like when crucifixions were still happening, right? It was an entirely different experience to be marked with the sign of the cross and then later that afternoon to be walking past a crucified man on the side of the road. That was a very different experience than what you and I have. Like you were branded. You were branded with the symbol of state-sponsored terrorism. That's what crucifixion was. It was the way that the Romans controlled the populace. It was their way of saying, you cross us and we will put you on a cross. We will do that to you. That's what it was. It was manipulation through the coercive fear of suffering and death in the very worst and most unimaginable way. It was like in the human psyche, there's just nothing worse than suffering and loss. And that that which came from the cross, right? Our word excruciating, right? The word that describes pain at the uppermost. How would you describe this pain? Excruciating. Excruciate from the cross. And yet Christians from the very beginning declared through baptism and through infant baptism, child baptism, that we refuse to be scared by that. We refuse we simply refuse. We, we will mark ourselves, we will brand ourselves with this symbol that once denoted the thing most to be avoided, suffering and loss and death. St. Paul, in the second reading that we have for this 13th Sunday, he puts it this way, right? Are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Like, and he's writing this so early on that, like, the memory of Christ's death is a fresh memory. It wasn't a beautiful death. It was a gruesome death. Do you not realize that when you were baptized, you were immersed, baptized into his death? But then he, he says all of this because of what he says next in this writing, in this, this letter. He says, we were indeed buried with him through baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life, right? Are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The word baptize comes from the Greek baptizein, which means to submerge or to be immersed in. That's the imagery. When you were baptized, when you had your children baptized, when I was baptized, we were, from the first moment of our life as Christians, submerged into the death of Christ, marked with the cross of Christ, conformed to Christ. Which Christ? The only Christ that there is who has a cross. That's who you were conformed to. There is only one Christ to which you and I must be conformed. 
Like from my own heart right now, sharing from my own journey right now, the last few years, this is what I've been wrestling with and I know I'll continue to wrestle with. But there is not another Jesus. There is not another Jesus to which I can be conformed. Let me put it this way. It's not like, oh, I would like to be conformed to the popular influential Christ. Or like, I would like to pick the homecoming king Christ. Like the Christ that everyone loves. Or like the Christ who doesn't have a cross. Like when I'm honest with my heart, like that's in so many ways what I want. And yet there's only one Christ and he has a cross. He has a cross and he has an empty tomb. He is slain and he's victorious. He is suffering and triumphant. He is crucified and he is risen. Like you, just, you can't just have one part of him. You can't just be conformed to one part of him. You can't just have the joyful mysteries. If you want Jesus, you want the whole thing, which is the whole package, which is the sorrowful. You get the whole man, the whole Christ. Like as Christians, as members of his body, like as people have been baptized into him, buried in his death, we are at every single moment being invited to become him more and more. Like, that's where this is headed. That's what this is about. That's what this life is trying to do. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to accomplish in you. The Holy Spirit has one job, one goal for your life, to try and Christify you, to recreate in your life the pattern of Jesus' own passion, death, and resurrection. So when you stand before the Father, the Father looks at you and sees His Son, He sees the wounds. He sees the heart bleeding in love. So here's the point. So like when suffering shows up in our lives, in your world, like when, not if, it's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when. When suffering shows up, as Christians, we need need this lens to help us frame our experience because, friends, like pain is is blinding. It's deafening. Like when you get that horrible phone call, when a close friend betrays you, when the security of a job is just gone and lost, when the cancer comes back, when a loved one dies, when the baby that you've longed for month after month doesn't show up, Or when the baby that you've longed for does show up, but is gone only a few weeks into the pregnancy. Like all you can see, all we can see and feel in these moments is the pain. Like I know this. Like I'm not saying I know this abstractly as if like, yeah, I read about it in a theology book. No, I know this because this is is my life right now in some ways. There's stuff that's happening in my world and in the world of people that I really love that is just unbelievably painful. And it's many days where all you can feel, all I can feel is the pain. And it's into that pain that the enemy does his dirtiest work. He whispers the most destructive lies like, 
even in a world devoid of pain, before the fall, before sin, in that world where there wasn't suffering, where there wasn't loss, our enemy was able to convince our first parents in paradise that perhaps God isn't good, right? Think about this. In a world where there was no suffering yet, in a world where there wasn't death or loss or betrayal, in that world, the enemy was still able to convince our first parents, like, if God really loved you, he would have let you have this. If he really loved you, he would have stopped this from happening. If he really loved you, he would have answered the prayer that you've prayed so desperately from your heart. Like, if he could do that in Genesis 3, how much easier is it for him to do that for us in this world? This world that we say in prayer is the valley of tears. Right? God, I thought you loved me. I thought you loved us. I thought, like, why would you say no to this life? Why didn't you stop the cancer from spreading? Why did you take him so soon? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why? 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 Like we cry out this why from the depth of our hearts, but the truth is nobody really wants an answer to the why. Because honestly, no answer would do. It wouldn't solve the problem. The problem is not a problem of information or bigger picture. Like, the problem is this. My heart, your heart, wants to live in a world where there are no goodbyes, where friends don't betray, where all pregnancies are brought to birth, where loved ones don't die. Like, our hearts want a different world. And it is cruel. It is cruel when when people try to give an answer to our suffering. Like, oh, I know you're sad, but God just needed another angel up in heaven. Yeah, well, tell God I needed my dad. Yeah, tell God I needed that friendship. Tell God I needed there to be two blue lines. Like, the answer to our heart's cry is not information. The answer is not a what It's a who. And friends, that's all I know to say to make sense of it all. Like, we have a God who is nothing but goodness, who's nothing but indulgent, infinite goodness, a Father who loves us and knows us intimately and personally, and he knows the shape and the contour of our hearts, and he knows it perfectly. He knows of what we're made. He knows of what we're capable. He knows what we can become by his grace He knows that we have it to become his sons and daughters who become creatures who outlive the farthest star in the distance of the universe. Like he knows what he's doing even when it seems like it's all chaos. He knows what he's doing when he allows our crosses, our suffering in these moments where like we are invited to join Jesus, to become more like Jesus on the cross where you say like I have nothing All I have is longing and love in this suffering and this cry from my heart to you, Father. Like, and in those moments where we are stripped 
of everything that points to him, every idol, every icon that points to him, all that we are left with is him. Like when the suffering shows up, he's doing something. This is my point. When the suffering shows up, he's doing something. He's not punishing. When the suffering shows up, he's not being mean. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't lost sight of your heart. He doesn't throw away your dreams. He hasn't stopped being good. There's only one Christ to be conformed to, and it's Christ crucified and risen. It's the Christ of infinite bleeding love, crucified love, love that loves in the suffering with nothing else. It's the Christ who has the cross and the empty tomb. That's the only Christ that there is. And because the Father loves us so perfectly, he permits whatever will somehow, and I really mean somehow, more perfectly ready us for heaven. What I've been wrestling with and coming to grips with this week is that none of us become the saints that we want to be. Because the truth is, none of us really want the cross. But there's only one ladder to heaven, and it's the cross. And so the Father kisses the cross and sends it into our life because he loves us. I don't know if I just needed to hear this today or if we all needed to hear this today. But there's just one Christ. And he's not punishing. He is always good. Always.